Praise the Lord. The Lord is in the house this morning. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Your pastor introduced me this morning as the father of the Great Lakes. <laughs> I often chuckled whenever Brother Pentecost would laugh and say that people said he was older than dirt. So I'm not really sure whether being the father of the Great Lakes is as old as being dirt, but uh, I feel older this morning. But with God's grace, I can climb a wall and I can defeat an army. Praise the Lord. We're just a wee bit out of balance here, brother. This morning, it is going to be my endeavor to be a blessing. I have, uh, to be transparent with you, I have wrestled with this most of the week. And um, <clears throat> it was all precipitated by reading the seventh chapter of Romans. And the Apostle Paul says in verse number 15 of, verse, of chapter 7, he says, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. So I read it again. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not understand my own actions. For what I don't want to do, that's the exact thing that I do. It would seem that far too many Christians spend their entire life riding the fence, dealing with their own issues and never dealing with the victory over their sins. Acts of sin from habit and human nature are still sin. I can remember my mother reminding me that it doesn't make God any difference about sin. Sin is sin. Big sin, little sin. And that all came about by the fact that uh, we were talking about a little white lie. No. To God it's just still one big black lie regardless of how much you reduce it. 
those people that ride the fence, Paul Marshall, the former political clergy and chaplain of the Congress, said, we are too Christian, really, to enjoy sinning. But we're fond of sinning and really don't enjoy being a Christian. In his humor, he said a great deal. The problem with living that way is when we want it both ways, we don't get either way. It makes us miserable. For we're like the Apostle Paul, what we want to do, we don't do. And what we do do, to be honest about it, we should be ashamed of. The Old Testament refers to the children of Israel whenever God called them out and he said to them, you don't even know how to blush anymore in your sin. Perhaps it's time for us to stop riding the fence. And perhaps it's time to rip to shreds everything that causes us to sin. Christ has given us victory over sin through his son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes in this day and age, we avoid calling sin what it really is, sin. Yes, sir. And we allow sin to continue to the point to where it is not only objectionable to that one sitting next to us, but in the dark of the night when we cover up our heads... It's objectionable to ourselves. Amen. A cloud of doubt hangs over the home run king, Barry Bonds. In August the 7th, 19, or 2007, Barry Bonds hit the 756 home run that broke Hank Aaron's record. I remember listening to that on the, on the radio. I don't know how many of you did, but he... He was there. He, I don't think the man who was pitching to him pitched him the sweet ball. I think he hit the ball that was a legitimate pitch. Most of the talk was about the new record, whether it really should count because Barry Bonds had, had been known to take steroids. And Sports Buff said that his name should go into the record book, but it should also be accompanied with an asterisk. And the asterisk, of course, means that the record is a some kind of tainted record. Huh. That's it. Come on now. Sort of. It's sort of a record. With a footnote with that asterisk, it says the asterisk means that the record is somewhat tainted. This asterisk idea didn't go away for the man by the name of Mark Echo. 
the man who bought the ball that Bonds hit to break the record, asked baseball fans on an internet or on an internet poll what he should do with the ball. The fans voted and they said that he should take the ball and brand it with an asterisk and donate it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So in the summer of 2008, that's exactly what Mr. Echo done, was he branded the ball with, a, with an asterisk and donated it to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Having an asterisk by your name is something that we Christians understand completely. We have all committed sin. We have all failed. But the amazing truth is God's grace is that he has granted us peace with God through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 3 says, And there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from, from the law of sin and death. Yes. Yes. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak, through the flesh, Christ sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. You say, Brother Holland, I've read that verse and I think I understand it. But let me say this to you, my friend. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no one, no individual flesh that can judge you or condemn you in your sin. But sin that is committed by an act of habit and human nature must be dealt with personally and with repentance. For the scripture tells us, for a man that knoweth to do right and do and doeth it not, to him it is sin. What'd you say? Sin. sin. You say, Bishop, you're preaching to the choir this morning. Give me time. <laughs> Give me time. Each one of us, if we're honest with ourselves in our prayer closet, we reach a point to where there needs to be a renewal commitment to change the habits and adjust our human nature. Every one of us drove here today in some, some type of a vehicle, except for Brother Mark, and he walked here. But I guarantee you that even he seen those people who can't behave, and we say to ourselves, I don't understand why people act like that. And when people look at us as Christians, and we make that false step, People say to one another or to themselves privately, I don't understand why they act like that. God has said 
that he wants his family not only to be in his image, but to be after his likeness. When a baby is born into a household, it comes in with an image, but it does not have likeness. Most parents like to sleep all night. Babies don't care. <laughs> Most families like peace and quiet. Newborns don't care. Newborns don't even give it a thought. And immediately the home gears up to serve the baby's needs and to help it develop likeness. You need to start acting like us. You need to sleep all night. And I'm sure moms have diapered that wet baby and burped it, and put it back in the crib and said, now you go to sleep and sleep the rest of the night. Daddy and me's tired. And if you haven't whispered those words to the little infant laying there that really don't understand what you're saying, Perhaps, perhaps you're not being honest because you thought it. <laughs> Jesus said, tell everybody the good news. Produce new birth. And then he added, teach them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, making disciples. And what's that? It is the production of his likeness in the body of Christ. Amen. When we start teaching them all things, we teach them to be like us, to be like him. To read their Bibles, to pray, in church attendance, in witnessing, in a testimony of faith. You get a young Christian who's fired up for Jesus, who has just been washed clean as white as snow, you can't shut them up about how good Jesus is. They got to tell everybody. They'll talk to people that they don't even know. With excitement, they'll tell them about Jesus. We as individuals should encourage that kind of behavior because it makes us like him. In 1 Peter chapter 6 verse 1 chapter verse 6 chapter 1 verse 16 the scripture says, "Be holy, for I am holy." Then that little baby we bring home, almost as soon as that new baby is established in its daily routine and we've got him to where he sleeps all night and takes his bottle when he's supposed to and only cries when he's a little bit wet. We begin to make an effort to teach him words or teach it words. Again and again and again. Hundreds of times a day and in a week, we say words to a baby that a, it just goes in, seems like it just goes in one ear and out the other. 
Daddy will sit there and he'll hold the baby and he'll say, say Dada. Just once for me, just say Dada. <laughs> and the phone rings and mom says, guess what the baby said today? Nine times out of ten, it's not Dada. <laughs> but they do everything they possibly can to get this baby to speak. And finally, after hours and hours of repeating words to a child, they begin to return them words to us. After a while, persistence pays off. And it talks like us. That even includes your accent. And if you sound like you're from Missouri, your baby sounds like he's from Missouri. And if you're from Mississippi, your baby sounds like she's from Mississippi. My wife came to live with me in Texas. She lived there about four months. She came back home to Michigan and everybody said, where'd you get the Texas draw at? We pick up these accents. But we taught them to the child. It's almost as though it's inbred whenever we get done teaching them. We do such a good job with our children sometimes that we are amazed at how well they turned out. And it is at the age of two or three, most parents begin to assign regular responsibilities to each child. Saying to the child, always pick up your toys. Pick up your toys like mama does and put them over here in the toy box. You know how, help me pick up the toys. And mom will say, you go around to the bathrooms and pick up all the trash that's in them little trash cans and bring it and put it in a big garbage can and bang, they just run off and they pitter-patter through the house and they come back and they bring all the stuff because they like to help mama. They got them special assignments that they've been given. They even like to help dad. I had a friend one time who was putting a muffler on a car and he had the back end of the car bump jacked up on a bumper jack, which is a no-no. And he's up underneath the car putting a pipe on the car and he heard something in the back of him and he rolled over and looked. And his little three-year-old had crawled up underneath the car with him. He wanted to help daddy. Daddy had to say, no, 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 you, gotta, you can't be here with daddy now. Explain to him that there's the dangers that they can't be involved in. But little children like to help daddy too. They learn the valuable lessons, but they learn them from their parents. They learn them because they're going to take on the likeness of their parents. It's the little child who sees dad with a drill or with a saw who wants to saw something or wants to hammer something. It's the little girl who holds the doll and does what mama does with the baby. Talks to the baby the same way. We have an awesome responsibility. And let me say this to you. If you have been selected as a mentor, you have a special assignment. 
that person that you and and let me let me let me back up here a little bit when someone accepts Christ as his as their personal savior and you are responsible you're the one who is on the front lines you're there when that person receives Christ as their personal savior you become a very special individual to them because you become that spiritual parental figure and you become that mentor and this is true those of you who have ever watched Jewish men standing at the wailing wall with their prayer shawls on and they do what the Jews refer to as bobbing as they pray it's a known and proven fact that if the father bobs the son will bob. And if the father doesn't bob, the son doesn't bob. Mentoring is a precious thing because they will try to do things just like you do as a mentor. They'll mark their Bible the same way you do. They'll buy, they'll buy marking pencils like you bought. They'll buy markers like you bought to put into their Bibles. They'll say things like you say things. Mentoring is a very special thing. Elders, if you never have anything to do with a new convert, let me tell you something. New converts are watching you. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. New converts are watching you. Your skills and your knowledge assist in the effort of raising newborns in the family of God. Amen. The church is the family of God. And it is proven that every child of God should have the same opportunity. That's why we give to missions. That's why we want that small child on the other side of the world who has just heard about Jesus to receive a small New Testament in their language that they can learn to read. Amen. We make these efforts as the family of God. Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. If I could put that in the vernacular for the 2021 or 2022, it would say being thoroughly involved in the family business, the enterprise of Christ. You say, Brother Holland, I never recognized the church as a business. We're here. We're on the corner of Farnham and, and Campbell. <laughs> and we've got a business set up here. And this is a saving station. Amen. And people who come in here are looking for Jesus. Yes. Yes. Now we've got a product that we can sell verbally to individuals. Who are looking for Jesus. 
The Lord has called us to be involved 100% in the family business. Thus we work with the Heavenly Father and the family, and we learn to be like Him, and we begin to sense His presence as we serve Him. Yes. I believe it's the song that says, the longer I know Him, the better I love Him. The longer I serve Him. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. There is no place that I'd rather be than in church service when the Spirit of God begins to move. Oh, to feel the glory roll up and down my backbone, my friend. Let me tell you, to be involved in God's business 100% to where we know that He is the one who is taking charge of our physical bodies and stimulating our spirit within, there is no greater feeling than knowing God has recognized us as an individual. The psalmist David was one who said that he was amazed that God paid attention to him. Who am I, God, that thou art mindful of me? Who am I? In Matthew, the 12th chapter, as I read Romans 7, thumb through there and done a little bit of a word search and a name search. And in Matthew, the, the 12th chapter, the 43rd and the 44th verse, the scripture says, When an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from whence I came out, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. When the Spirit moves in, and you accept Christ as your personal Savior, the Spirit comes in and cleans that old house up. He gets rid of all the trash, he gets rid of all the filth, he gets rid of all the dust. And he garnishes and cleans it and makes it his abode. For the scripture tells us that we are the temple of the living God. But you know what happens to us? Old Slewfoot himself shows up on the front porch with his old suitcase and wants to move back in. And that's when the habits of sin and human nature take over in our lives. And we find ourselves doing those things that we don't want to do, that we absolutely hate. Friends, don't let the devil stand on your front porch with that old wore-out suitcase that he's been dragging in and out of the house so long that you don't want him there. Run him off the porch and keep him off the porch. He'll take every opportunity that he can to move back in. 
Lock the back door. The Apostle Paul, still writing to the Romans in chapter 6, says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? Because he'd already talked to them about the amazing saving grace of Christ. He'd already talked to them about how the Lord cleans them up and how the Lord protects them. He's getting ready to tell them that there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. But shall we continue in sin because God forgives? The Apostle Paul says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Little kids like nothing better than to walk through a mud puddle. They'll splash and carry on. My friend, out in front of our spiritual homes, there's mud puddles. Stay out of the mud puddles. You say, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but, but, but. It doesn't make any difference how many buts you put after your comment. I know I'm not supposed to do that. Doesn't change anything. For when the Spirit moves in and begins to clean up the temple, He begins to tell you, you don't need this here, and you don't need this here, and you don't need this here. Get rid of it. And we hold on to some things. We hold on. We hold on to some things that we count very precious. Um, there are certain things that we enjoy doing. We just like doing it. Why do you do that? Well, I like doing it. Well, you know that's not right. Yeah, but I like doing it. <laughs> I heard a fellow tell a story about being in revival and he'd, they'd went out with, a, with the evangelist during the revival every night and they'd, they'd eat and joked and laughed and carried on. We all do that. One fellow said he'd eat so much he thought he would never want to eat again. Next night he'd go out and do the same thing. He said this man whom they'd become so good friends with Said he took the pulpit on the last night and said he backed up and said he preached the most powerful message on gluttony he ever heard. <laughs> Why do we overeat? Because we like to eat. Why do we eat too much? Because we like to eat. Why do we do that to ourselves? Because we just haven't got a hold of our behavior yet. We hold on to things. We hold on to things we need to get rid of. And if you know those things cause you to sin, you need to get rid of them. 
Many times, the clergy is guilty of, as the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are you able now. Some people never grow up past the repentance stage. They never become full adults because they have not been mentored. They have not been taught. They have not had their hand held. Nobody has come to them and say, you look downtrodden. Let me, let me hear what's bothering you. And the clergy the clergy sometimes avoids saying things that need to be said. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. They probably won't come back if I tell them. But I really should tell them that they shouldn't do that anymore. We live in a world where people get offended at just about nothing. So we really, we find ourselves tiptoeing around the truth. But friend of mine, if you have someone that you know is transgressing God's law and are willfully sinning, you have an awesome responsibility. You are not to be a judge, for judge not unless you be judged. But you can be a great encourager. The scripture tells us in Romans the 8th chapter, For whom he foreknew... He also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among, among many brethren. Moreover, whom he, predestinated, whom he predestinated, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Words. Words are very important. Justified. Just as though they had never sinned. Glorified. Just like him. Just as though you'd never sinned. Glorified. Just like him. Jesus provided the opportunity for us to be born again. The image of parents comes... Not comes with birth. We are not born again by the will of man, but by the will of God. Yes. When we experience the new birth, we begin a conforming process. We begin to conform to the image of God. 
And over many years of being involved in church ministry and being a member of the Church of God, early on in my Christian life, I wrestled with the term sanctification. Where we put off the old man and put on the new. But every once in a while, the old shoes felt so good, we tried them on again. And in the old days, when you tried on the old shoes, you begin to act strange. People talked about us being backslid. We don't hear that term much anymore. But to backslide is to move away. Willingly move away. Sometimes accidentally moving away. Sometimes out of nature moving away. But God is always standing there with his arms wide open. This morning, my friend, if you're a new convert in Christ, sanctification takes day in and day out living for Jesus. With everything you've got. It is the Spirit, not your neighbor, not your friend. It is the Word of God who convicts us and tells us that we're doing wrong. That moves us from where we're at, gets off, off of that dead center. In the same way God has provided us His Word, as we learn His Word, as a child learns words from their parents, and we begin to speak it back to Him. And I would encourage you whenever you go to prayer and you go into your prayer closet and you shut that door, take your Bible with you. For there's a promise in this book that for every day of the year, a promise that is sound and it's yea and amen. Take it to prayer with you. You may not use it for weeks and then all of a sudden a scripture will come to mind. Read that scripture and pray the word. And when we begin to pray the word and we begin to speak it back to him. For he knows. He knows us. And we hear his voice and we know his voice. The world will know that we are a member of his family because we know him. So after the baby learns the words, it also shows a desire to walk. And it crawls after a few months. But adults walk. I can remember as a young minister, oh, I wish I could do that like so-and-so. Well, with experience and with involvement, you too can do it like so-and-so. So as babies desire to walk, we spend hours upon hours upon hours helping them with balance and coordination and eventually they walk. 
Now the child is more like his parents, talks like his parents, acts like his parents, he walks like his parents. The Bible teaches us how to walk like our spiritual father. The Old Testament prophet says, can two walk together except they agree? If you invite Slewfoot off of the porch with his suitcase, the spirit will not stay. There's no room in this house for two masters. As we learn to walk like God, we have a privilege to walk with Him. Children eventually reach the level of maturity where they can run errands for the family. Where they can walk and talk adequately and take responsibility. That's where we come in. Come go witnessing with me. <laughs> I've never done that before. Will you just come? Bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. We're going to go witnessing. First couple times they witness with you, they're following every word. You're, 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 they're looking in their Bible and they're looking in your Bible. And eventually, they get bold enough that adult spirit comes on them. And they can go witnessing. Every one of us was given an opportunity by a member of the congregation or by the ministry to be involved in some kind of a church activity simply because as a new convert, we could walk and we could talk and we could act like a Christian. I don't know who this was for. And be transparent, I have to say to you this morning, I, I even went and looked for magic tricks to see if I could do something instead of what I preached this morning. But there's somebody here this morning that needed to hear this. And I don't know who you are, I'm not, around, I'm not around here enough to know who is and who isn't, who does and who doesn't. But I know that every one of us, every one of us needs to take the opportunity when the offer is made to us and the opportunity for us is given. that we should take the opportunity to renew a commitment. And to confess. 
You say, Bishop, I haven't got anything to confess. Let me tell you something. I go to the Lord in prayer sometimes, and before it's over with, I find myself doing nothing but confessing. Confessing. And this morning, I'm, as I ask you to stand to your feet, Before I go any further, I want to tell you this morning. And old Slewfoot's already walked over and said to you, if you do what he says he wants you to do, everybody in this place is going to know that you do what he's talking about. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, the master already knows. That's the reason old Slewfoot's already come by. But if this has been a message for you in any area whatsoever. Tenderheartedly. And sincerely. In my heart. I ask you this morning. Do not leave this auditorium. Without coming forward. And spending a moment in prayer with the master who loves you, who died for you, who shed his blood for you, who rose again on the third day and is coming back very soon. My friend, I want us all to be ready. I want the whole family to go. I want us all in the ark, safe. Safe in the ark. Will you come this morning? Will you come? Come on, mentors. Elders, come on. 